Oh man, good morning, church. Are you doing okay today, family? How you doing? Good? Yes? No? Let's try it this way. Are you here this morning? Man, I'm so glad. Hey, Roy, good to see you, buddy. You doing okay? Good. Roz, good morning. Good to see you, sweetie. All right, grab your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we'll be diving into the third saying of Jesus from the cross here in a moment. All right, you ready? Part three, let's do this. Grab your Bibles, John 19. As you're going there, I want to ask a question, but let me set it up this way. I, I grew up in the church. So first question, let's just start. Low ball, easy question. How many of you either grew up in the church or have been a part of the church for quite a while. Can I see some hands? Okay, yep, yep. And if you don't have your hand raised, don't worry. It means you don't have some of the baggage that some of us grew up with. Okay, it's all right. All right, so here's the next question. Growing up, I was raised not by one mom and one dad, but because I was a part of the church, I was raised by like 75 moms and 75 dads. Does anyone else identify with that? Now, that was great for your moms and your dads because they got to deputize other people who were official ear thumpers when you misbehaved in church. You know what I'm talking about? Like you couldn't misbehave down the street because there was a mom who'd been deputized by your mom to keep tabs on you. And so I had a lot of moms. For instance, Miss Sylvia Coyle, her son Adam and I were best friends. We almost got arrested once because we were looking around at homes that were being built and we were climbing in through the windows just to look and we were mistaken for people who were vandalizing homes. We shouldn't have been there to begin with, but that's beside the point. So she became like another mom and I called her mom too. By the way, parents... Kids, don't do that. Stupid, don't just don't do it. There, I've said it, parents. Okay, so it's not a me. Here we go. <clears throat> so, so mom too. Then I had another. Her name was Aunt Sue. She was not my aunt, but because her son Jeff and I were best buddies and we hung out all the time, she became like an aunt. And one of the good things that God gives us is not simply a mom and a dad in many cases. Some of us may not have had that growing up. But if you will allow it, the Lord wants to give you a family that is bigger and broader and more beautiful than anything we may have experienced on our own in our own contexts. You say, well, where do we get that from? We get that from Jesus' third saying in John chapter 19. Stand with me now as we read God's word together. These are the words from the... Apostle John, he records, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, and notice these words on the screen, go ahead and highlight these, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your son. Mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Woman, here is your son. Disciple, here is your mother. These are the words of the Lord. Would you bow with me? Just as the early church found family in you, Lord, we thank you for the family you offer to give each of us. May we step more fully into what it means to be family, to receive it, and to be the beneficial presence in our churches as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, here we go. Let's cover some ground. We've already talked about the horror of the cross. We've talked about Jesus' torture. 
How by this point, his eyes would have been swollen, perhaps swollen shut because of the abuse. Uh, Blood would have been striping his face from the crown of thorns. His face would have been raw from where they pulled the beard out. His back, the flesh, would have been removed from the whipping done before. And now, on the cross, he's being held by three railroad-sized spikes through wrist and ankles. It won't be long now before he utters his final words, giving his soul up to God, saving humanity from sin, dying for you and for me. But in this moment of agony, he looks down and he locks eyes with his mom. Now, I know sometimes when we read the story of Jesus on the cross, we're so familiar with it, details seem to just kind of go by us. But let us not pass this moment, but like the crowd, let us come close to the foot of the cross and see what God might want us to see so we experience what he wants us to experience. And here's the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus and Mary had a beautiful and unique relationship. I mean, ladies, how many of you had an angel specifically say you were going to have a child? Nope. Now, some of you in childbirth thought someone else came to you in that moment, but it was not from God. Can I get an oh yeah from the ladies who went through childbirth? Really? None? You're like, my baby's an angel. It was worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't know how old Jesus was before Mary began to share with him about that moment when the angel came and said she would have a child. We don't know how old he was when he heard that story of when Mary had to tell Joseph that she was pregnant and yet she had not been with anyone. And we don't have all the details of what happened from when he was born until he was 12 years old, but we do have that moment, don't we, when he was 12 and his mom and dad took him to Jerusalem, and he decided to stay for a few extra days without his mom and dad knowing it. You remember that story, church? Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem. He's 12 years old. This was part of his becoming a man process. He sees the temple. The time comes for them to leave. Mary and Joseph pack up, and they assume that Jesus is traveling with someone else in their traveling party. So they are already a day away when they have that awkward conversation of, hey, where's Jesus? Oh, I thought he was with you. No, no, I thought he was with you. And they begin to frantically search for their son. They are a day away. It takes a day to get back. They are looking for him, and they find Jesus in the temple. Talking to the scribes, the wise men of the day, boggling their minds at his intellect and his wisdom. But Mary, notice, is not thrilled with that. She's more than a little upset. You say, how do we know that? Because she speaks up quickly and says this, son, why have you treated us like this? And then she says, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Friends, whenever I heard the phrase... Your father and I growing up, it was bad news bears. Or how about this one? When your father gets what? Uh-huh. And then the, everyone knows that's it. Lights out. Go ahead and write your will because this is bad. She shows up and she is upset at him. Why have you done this? I have a mom. You have a mom. Have you ever had a mom who's upset at you? In fact, she's so upset that she does not let Joseph get a word in edgewise. He's standing right there. He says nothing. I suspect it was a moment where he stepped back and he simply looked at Jesus and was like, you're on your own. (laughs) She was there with Jesus 
when he had the wedding in Canaan. You remember this. John chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples were invited to a big shindig, a big wedding in the city of Cana, and Mary is there. We assume she was connected to the family of the bride because when they were running low on wine, Mary goes to Jesus and says, they've got a problem. They have no more wine. Now, this was a big deal. To run out of food or wine during a celebration would be a humiliation to the host family. And so she says, Jesus, they're almost out of wine. Now, again, you have a mother and I have a mother. Isn't it true that there are moments when your mom gives you pieces of information when those pieces of information are not just pieces of information? For instance, wow, the grass sure looks long. That is not merely a piece of information, is it? That is your last opportunity to make the personal decision to do something about it before your mother tells you what to do about it. So your mother says, wow, your room looks very messy. That's not information. That is your last opportunity to hop up and say, I was just going there now to fix it all up. Jesus, we are all out of line. That is not just information information, but he says, woman, it is not my time. Understand that word woman is not a derogatory term Jesus uses. He is simply speaking to her in the way they would have spoken in that day. But it's not my time. I have other priorities right now. And when Jesus says, it's not my time, what does Mary do? What does she say to Jesus? Nothing. She ignores him. She turns and she looks to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. In other words, I have told him what's wrong. I'm going to leave it up to him how to deal with it. Whatever he decides is fine, but he will handle it because I'm his mama. So what does Jesus do, church? He turns water into wine. They had a deep relationship. And here they are now at the moment where she is the first one who believed. And now she's the last one to leave the foot of the cross. Understand, when we say the foot of the cross, it's not a great big cross like the one behind me where Christ would be suspended 15, 20 feet up. It would have been something much closer to the ground where those at the foot of the cross could literally hold on if they wanted to. She is close enough to touch her baby boy. And Jesus... In the worst moment of his life, and friend, this is not simply that he was taking on the sin of the world. He was in the midst of great pain and agony. In this moment, he has enough care for others that he sees the pain of another. Isn't it interesting? Maybe you're not like this, but for me, the greater my personal pain, the less aware I am of the pain of others. Have you ever noticed this? That when things are really bad for you, it's hard to see the pain of other people around you? And yet Christ, in his pain, sees the pain and the concern of his mother. Hear me now, as you become more like Christ, one of the key indicators is when you are personally in pain, do you still see the pain of other people? Because in that moment, he does the final thing for his earthly ministry. Christ had one last earthly thing to do before he died. One more putting matters into place, if you will. And that's to take care of his mother. Jesus was the oldest of all of Mary's children. You say, children? Yes. Mark chapter 3, excuse me, 6 and verse 3 tells us that Jesus had at least four other brothers. And he had sisters. One of those is James, the gentleman who writes the book of James later in your New Testament. 
And yet, Jesus, because it is his responsibility, he is wanting to take care of his mother. There's no social security. Joseph, Jesus' father, would be dead at this point, and he is ensuring that his mother is taken care of. So he says to his mother these words. I'm going to put these up. Woman, here is your son. And this sounds all very good, but there's a curious thing, and I want you to see this. Don't miss this big point. Who does Jesus entrust to his mother? Is it one of his biological brothers, church? The answer is no. Is it one of his biological brothers, church? Good answer. Is it one of his biological sisters? The answer is no. Is it one of his biological sisters? Who does he entrust his mother to? One of his disciples. In fact, it's not just any disciple. It's the disciple Jesus loves. It is John, the author of this gospel. Why? Why John? Why not a brother? Why not a sister? Here's why. Jesus makes us family. DNA does not make us family. Your last name does not make you family. DNA does not make you family. Living under one roof does not make you family. Being connected to Jesus through Jesus is what makes us family. Jesus looks and he says, Mom, more than biology, I'm looking at a spiritual connection and the one who knows me most, loves me most, is most deeply connected to me, is the only person I would entrust you to. Mother. Here's your boy. Boy, here's your mom. I want you to get two things from this text. Number one, Jesus from the cross gives us a family. I don't know where you are this morning, and maybe the word family is so broken and so bent up because of what you experienced, whether it was neglect or abuse. And in this room, there are those of us who, when we hear this word, we get sick to our stomach. But I want you to understand that it's not God's intent. And because you had a bad representation, do not throw out God's intent for you. On the cross, Jesus gave us a family. He gave us one another. People who did not have a home now find a home in Jesus Christ. Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Here is the one you are to take care of. Now, this would have been an affront to the Eastern sensibilities. In the Eastern world, the Greeks, Romans, and Jews all agreed that family was priority. Who you were related to, who was born into your family, that was paramount. And yet Jesus flips everything upside down and says who you are born to and the family you are born into may be important, but it is not most important. In fact, consider this. Every physical family will eventually come to an end, won't it? I mean, it will. So every family that you know will come to an end. Uh, families end all the time. They end because of death, don't they? Or divorce. Families end because of distance. People move away. And sometimes they end even when people have not moved away, but they've broken apart. Families, biological families, will always come to an end. But Jesus says something here. Your spiritual family will never come to an end. And if you are in Christ, and if those you love are in Christ, that makes us family. Brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers, and nothing, not even the grave, will separate us from our Father God and our siblings among us. On the cross, Jesus Christ gives us a family. And in fact, 
Matthew 12, 50, Jesus says these words, doesn't he? He says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Jesus makes us family. Now listen, that means you treat me as well as you treat your own family. That means I'm supposed to treat you as well as I treat my own family. And there's an interesting little thing here. Quick question on this thing. Is this a suggestion, by the way? Does Jesus say to John, John, it would be a really good idea if you could take care of my mom and my, and my family. It would be a really good idea. No, no, no. Jesus does not suggest that we are family. He makes us family. He makes us one. And I do not get to choose. I've told you before, growing up, I have three sisters. No brothers. We even had a female dog growing up. I could not catch a break. My dad and I would leave the house periodically when the estrogen levels just got a little too high. So when I was growing up, I had an older sister and a younger sister, and I thought we had the perfect family mix. And then I learned that mom was pregnant with the fourth, the third sister. And I can remember as a kid laying in bed crying and begging her, Mama, please don't give birth. Just keep her in there. I didn't understand biology real well at that point. Here's what you need to know. I did not get to choose who was in my family. My father chose who was in our family. My parents chose. We don't get to choose each other, but we get to choose how we treat each other. Because Jesus gives us a family. Now, how do we treat one another? The Apostle Paul tells us in this passage on screen, do not rebuke, he says, an older man in the church, but appeal to him as if he were your father. Treat, your, treat the younger men as your brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters with all purity. Now, this means I have a whole bunch of brothers, spiritual brothers in the church, and a whole bunch of spiritual sisters in the church. I have some spiritual daddies in the church, men who are further along or older. But i got to tell you, I don't have any spiritual mothers in the church because I have yet to find any woman who will admit to being an older woman. So I just have some 95-year-old sisters in the Christ. And that's great. He makes us family. The second thing he does, Jesus makes us family, and then Jesus gives us a responsibility. He makes you family. He gives you a family and then gives you a responsibility. Notice with John, John, take care of my mom. She is now your responsibility. And we know from church history that John took this job very seriously. He took his now mother, Mary, to live with him in Galilee, northern Israel. And then a few years later when he moved from Galilee to the city of Ephesus where he helped lead the churches, he brought Mary with him where she stayed with him for about a total of 12 years from the resurrection of Jesus until her death, 12 years. He took very seriously taking care of his mama. And the reason this story, church, was so important in the early church was because it wasn't unusual for a young man or a young woman to choose Jesus and to be rejected then by their family. And understand, in their culture, if you were rejected by your family, you lost everything. You lost your family, your extended family, your network of friends. Often you lost your job. People would not work with you or for you or around you. You were a social pariah. 
So when a young man or young woman come into the church and say, I have chosen Jesus and have lost my family. I have no family. The preacher would grab that young person and point to a family and he would say, you see Steve and Wanda, they are now your family. He is now your dad. She is now your mother. These are your sisters and your brothers. And you would go and you would live with that family. And if you're a young man, young men, listen to me. If you were a young man, you would then be trained by that new dad of yours in the family trade so that as you got older, you would know how to do the family business. Ladies, you would be raised up by your new mother, what it means to be a godly woman or a wife in that culture so that you would be ready to be launched out into adulthood. This was a cornerstone of the church that those without family receive a family. What the world takes from you through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Christ gives back to you. And there's a responsibility that comes with it because after all, if you're in the family, you've got chores, don't you? There are things that you and I are responsible for doing every night in the Diggs house. Kids clear the table. Last night they were cleaning around the table. There's piles of crumbs on certain places and then others are wiping and wiping. And then we come back and help kind of redo it. And yeah, that's how it goes. Because they're part of the family. And if you're a part of God's family, yes, you get a family, but you also are invited into the responsibility. The reality is we thought social media was going to fix our loneliness, didn't we? We thought if we're just a little bit more connected, if we just know more about each other, it will remove this this sense of loneliness that so many of us live with. And yet I want you to understand, according to every sociologist I've read, the greatest pandemic of the 21st century is not COVID-19. It's not the opioid epidemic. It is the epidemic of loneliness where people, even in the church, walk into a crowd and feel utterly alone. See, it is possible to be a part of a church and yet not live in community with the church. It is possible to know about people without firmly having relationship with people. And Christ says it's not enough to simply be around the body. You need to be in the body. You remember that beautiful moment where Christ says the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you have. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as your what? As yourself. Now here's the thing Jesus doesn't tell you when he gives you a command. The thing Jesus does not tell you when he gives you a command is that he will then give you opportunities to fulfill that command. How many of you have ever asked God to give you patience? How many of you regret asking God to give you patience? Why? Because when you ask God to give you patience, he gives you lots of opportunities to learn patience. When you say, God, I'm a part of the family, teach me how to be part of the family, to love well, watch out because he will give you someone who needs to be loved well and you will show up at the right time in the right way when you are not even expecting it. And God will use you to bless someone else, to remind them they're not alone, to remind them that the worst day is not their last day if they are in Christ Jesus. He will put you with them at such a time as this. And you don't need a contract. A contract says, I will love you if you do this. 
A covenant is what we are given. A covenant says, because Christ has so filled my life, his love spills out of me onto you, and I cannot do anything but love you regardless of how you choose to treat me. Jesus gives each of us a family and a responsibility. And some of you, some of you found a family in this church. You found a father, a spiritual mother, spiritual brothers and sisters. You found people that you can count on, haven't you? And you've probably already found that there's some people who are beginning to count on you. After all, if you're in the family, there are those chores. I've been in the church now for almost 40 years. I've got a lot of brothers and sisters. At home, I have one boy and one girl. But in the church, the Lord has also allowed me to have little brothers and little sisters. And yes, they can be just as frustrating as a son and a daughter. And they can be just as exciting and joyful as well. I want you to know, if you don't have a family, we'd love to be your family. If you're watching online and you don't have a family, we want to be your family. And here's one of the ways you can do it. You can even reach out to me personally. My email is jdiggs at clearcreekcoc.org. You reach out, we will put you in contact with someone because we don't want anyone to go one more day with being alone. Because the gift of what Jesus gives is not for us just to keep and hold on to ourselves, but invite others into this beautiful family.